Amen. I join with Brother Dave in welcoming everybody here today and congratulating our graduates today and their families. We're so glad the families could be with us today for this time of worship. Now I want you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. We are in a study called Witnesses Alive, and uh, we're in chapter 20 of Acts, and we are right in, at the end of uh, Paul's third missionary journey. Paul was a leader, and we're going to talk today about church leadership 101. If you've uh, been to any basic college class, they typically call the first level classes the 101 class, and uh, you're familiar with that title, 101. So we're going to talk about some basic uh, leadership today. There was a um, college in our country that uh, had on its uh, admission form the question for all the incoming freshmen who were considered for, uh, for admission to the school, the question was, do you consider yourself a leader? They had 1,453 applicants who were accepted to the school. And out of the 1,453 applicants, 1,452 answered the question, are you a leader? Yes. They had one lone student who said no to that question. When the admission committee had tallied all the results, one of the admission uh, persons said to the rest, well, I'm glad that we have 452 leaders in the uh, incoming freshman class, but I'm also glad that we have one who is a follower because the others need somebody to follow them. Well, if you want to know if you're a leader in any field of life, if you want to know if you're a leader, turn around and, and see if anybody's following you. That's a good test as to whether or not you're a leader. And it doesn't matter whether you are a leader in a church uh, ministry or a secular ministry or the home life, uh, that's the true test. Well, today I'm going to talk about church leadership, but I'm really going to talk about it on several levels. I'm speaking to uh, staff, I'm speaking to deacons, I'm speaking to Sunday school teachers, committee chairpersons, and so forth, Bible study leaders, but I'm also talking to parents and grandparents who lead in the home, or should be leaders in the home. I'm talking to everybody because all of us have somebody out there who's looking to us wanting to see the way to go, what to believe, what makes life different and important and special. They're looking for leadership. So we're going to talk today on many different levels, but I want you to kind of follow Paul with me now and let's see what he has to say to the church leaders of his day. Now, Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey. He's wrapping it up. Chapter 20 of Acts says in verse 2, he was in Greece. Verse 3, he goes to Macedonia. Verse 6, he's been in Philippi. Verse, uh, the end of verse 6, he goes to Troas. Now at Troas, I discover that Paul and I are on the same level when it comes to preaching. Did you know that? Because at Troas, Paul had a late night Bible study where a fellow by the name of Eutychus fell asleep fell out of a third-story window and they thought he was dead. God saved him and raised him up, but at least I took comfort in that when I see folks go to sleep on me. I say, well, they went to sleep on Paul, too. 
Well, he goes from Troas to Asos, verse number 13. He goes to Samos in verse 15. And then he lands in Miletus. He decides not to go to Ephesus where he had just spent nearly three years. But he calls the church leadership from Ephesus to come to Miletus. He had some, has some closing words for them as he shares his heart with them. Verse 17 says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders in the church. Now the Bible has some words that are used interchangeably for one position in the church. And it's the term elder or the term uh, overseer or uh, bishop, same term, or shepherd pastor. He's going to use two of these in the text that we're looking at today, elder and shepherd or pastor. Now, the word elder speaks of the dignity or the maturity of the person in the position. The words bishop or overseer that are used in 1 and 2 Timothy are words that describe the authority of the person in position. And the words shepherd or pastor describes the ministry of the person in position. Now, most of you call me pastor. That's great. I like that. If you want to call me bishop, you can call me bishop. It's a Bible word. But don't call me elder. I would appreciate you not <laughs> saying that because I know what some of you are thinking already. I found the word for my pastor right there. Well, he calls these elders, these bishops, these overseers, these shepherds, these pastors. And he's going to share some personal testimony and he's going to give them some challenge. Now, as I talk to all of us today, including our graduates... I want us to basically see today what's the main thing that a church ought to be and ought to be about in its work week in and week out. Paul's going to tell us what this is about. Look at verse 17. He called the elders and verse 18 says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at 22. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit. That means he was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God." And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now this is almost like a commencement address. Commencement means beginning. And it's like a commencement address because now Paul is beginning a new phase in his life that will take him to Jerusalem and finally to Rome where he will die and go to meet the Lord Jesus. 
It's also a commencement in the sense that these elders who are three years of age or less spiritually, the elders are, only at the most three years faith in the Lord Jesus, are being commissioned by their church planter to do an important work. So let's see what this work is as Paul modeled it with his life and then taught them with his lips. First of all, it is an evangelical ministry, an evangelical ministry. Now sometimes you'll hear a church or a pastor or a ministry be called evangelical. That's just a Bible word. Uh, the word is euangelion, which means good news or the gospel. And it means to gospelize people, to good news people, to give them the good news of Jesus and His salvation through repentance and faith in him. And Paul is saying to them here, guys, listen, when I was with you, you know that in that entire time I was with you, I did nothing but point people to Jesus and lead them to the saving knowledge of our Savior. Now the, he's giving us his testimony. He's reminding them of what the main thing was when he was ministering among them. Now I want you to notice some facets of Paul's testimony that ought to be true of us as well as we share the gospel with people. Number one, he did it with tears and through trials. Tears and through trials. He had sobs mixed with sacrifice. He says there in verse number 19, with humility and many tears and trials, he came preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Do we have tears for the lost people all around us, in our families, on our streets, our schools, and our workplaces. Paul had tears. He wept over the work. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 126, verse 6, He that goeth forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come again rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Jesus had tears. Many places He cried. He said, Blessed are those who mourn. He had compassion over the people of his day. In fact, in one place, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, he looked over Jerusalem and saw the throngs of people, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion. And the word there means to be wrenched in the gut. He was so moved by the lostness, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Does that move us? Are we burdened about these people around us who live on our streets and we come in contact with day by day. God help us never to be a dry-eyed church in a hell-bound world. Souls are at stake. Trials and tears. But also as he shared the gospel, he did it everywhere and to everyone. That's what he says in 20 and 21 there. I held nothing back. He was in the synagogue. He gave them the gospel. He was in public places. He gave them the gospel. If he was in their homes, he said, home to home, house to house, I gave them the gospel. Do we take advantage of our opportunities to everyone, everywhere? I have a little thing that I do when I'm in a restaurant. I know you find it hard to believe I go to a restaurant, but I have a little thing I do when the server brings the food. I say to the server, is there anything that we can pray for you about? We're about to have a prayer. By the way, that's a great witness opportunity. But yesterday I was tired, just to be honest, I was tired. And we went out and got a bite to eat and the server brought the food. And I said, is there anything 
we can pray for you about. And I got what I probably hear most uh, 80% of the time. Just pray for me, pray for my family, just pray for me, kind of a general prayer. So I said, we sure will. And we had prayer, we prayed for our server. As I said, I'm tired, I'm ready to get home and uh, hit visitation. You know what visitation is, don't you? That's the name of my recliner. I like to get out on visitation uh, late in the afternoon. And, and I was ready to get home. But when that server brought the check and we paid him right before we left, he said, thank you for praying for me. This world is in a mess. There's so many problems and troubles. And he just went on and on. And I just let that fly over. Just, it just went out of my radar. And I got in the car and Kim and I were driving back. And I said, honey, I missed a golden opportunity. He opened the door up and I missed it. I share that to say this. Listen, folks, we need to have our spiritual antenna up all the time. God help us to see these opportunities everywhere to everyone and be your witness as you open the door. And I pray that God just use that simple prayer to maybe touch his heart and to help turn him toward the Lord Jesus. I love the fact that we're a missions church. I love the fact that we give so much to missions. I love the fact that we send mission teams around the country and sometimes around the world. I like all of that. But friend, I want to remind you, the light that shines the farther shines the brightest at home. And there are lost people all around us who need this gospel. Tears and trials, everyone, everywhere. But look again at verse 24. He's talking about the persecutions and the trials. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He did it with dedication and delight. Paul says, I've got troubles, tribulation, persecution. But he said, I'm going to finish my race. I've got a race to run for the Lord. And I'm going to do it, he said, with joy. Do you know Christians are the only people in the world who have joy and trouble at the same time? Have you ever thought about that? The lost world can, will have trouble, but it may have happiness, it may not have happiness, but God's people can have joy in the midst of their trials and their tribulation because of the Holy Spirit within. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Paul had it, and he modeled it. And he was basically saying, guys, I'm going to hang in there until I finish this race. And I'm going to smile because of the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Arturo Toscanini, the famous musician and conductor of symphonies, was conducting one evening in a theater, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And they did it so beautifully. He leading and the orchestra playing. And when they finished, the, the crowd was so moved, they stood up and began to clap and cheer and hurrah. And then the orchestra stood up, and they took their customary bow. But as they were bowing, Tuscanetti took his baton and wrapped the podium and told them to sit down, the orchestra. And when the crowd had quieted, Tuscanetti looked at the orchestra and said, Men, I am nothing. You are nothing. But Beethoven, he's everything, everything, everything. Paul would say to us today, I am nothing. 
But Jesus, He's everything. And friend, He ought to be everything to the church. Everything, everything, everything to the church because of what He has done for us. An evangelical church. But then Paul calls them to be a biblical ministry. Biblical ministry. Look now with me at verse 27. For I have not shunned, that means to cease or to avoid, to declare the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. I made a mistake. All three of those words are in here. Elder, overseer, and shepherd. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up and speak perverse things. That means to mislead. To draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch, watch, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. A biblical ministry. He calls them a flock, and he refers to these leaders as shepherds. Sunday school teachers, you are shepherds to a flock. Parents, you are shepherds. Grandparents, you are shepherds. Those of you who are working with our children and working with other groups, Bible studies in the home, you are shepherds. You are pastors to those people God has placed under you to, to lead and to guide. Now, what does a shepherd do? Three things. A shepherd who is faithful will guide the sheep. Number two, will graze the sheep. And number three, will guard the sheep. Paul is going to talk about this, all three of these, by talking about the place of the Bible, the Word of God, in their ministry. Notice what he says in verse 27. I did not cease but give you the whole counsel of God. And then he wraps up what he says in verse 32 by saying, I commend you to the Word of His grace. Now why did Paul do this? He did it, number one, because of dangers that are without. Verse 29, there were dangers without for the church in that day. Dangers like isolationism, where many people were turning their back on their friends and family because they had come to faith in Jesus. They were isolated. There was persecution that was going on to the church and would increase as the years went by. Folks, we have problems that address our church, dangers without, all around us, liberalism and extreme, atheism, which is growing, socialism, which is transforming this society, and godless humanism, which is behind all of it. That's what we're facing and much more in this day. And because of that, we have got to stay bound to this book. Now listen. When the critics are in their grave, this book will still be alive. Don't you spend any time with the critics other than to critique them based on the Scripture. Listen, the funeral eulogy has been delivered over and over for the book, but it has yet to die. Yet. And we need to be careful in this world that we stay lashed to the book. And I want to say to our graduates, you're going to get off at school... And this might even happen at a so-called Christian school. 
You're going to run into some arrogant professor with a Ph.D. who ought to be a post hole digger instead of doing what he's doing with his Ph.D. You're going to run into some of these guys and gals who think that they are elitist, that they have a corner on the knowledge, the market of knowledge. But I want to remind you again that when they're gone, the book will still be here. I was talking to a doctor, a medical doctor in our community some time ago. And he said that when he had gone off to a certain school that's very popular in this part of the world for his undergraduate, he said, every weekend I went home and talked to my pastor because I was hearing things in the classroom that uh, challenged me, and that's good to be challenged. It makes you dig deeper. makes you study harder. But he said, I was challenged by uh, some atheism and some liberalism and some of the other isms and he said, every week I was in the office of my pastor asking questions, and he was giving me books and giving me resources. That would make this preacher the happiest fellow in the world if I had more of that going on with me. I tell you, that thrills my soul. Dave will help me, I promise you. And we'll get those questions answered. We'll get the help that you need. Listen, you say, well, you're going to hear things like, well, no thinking person believes the Bible. Well, at that same institution I referenced a minute ago, there's a professor who just retired. His name is Dr. Emerson Scheich, a leading authority on agronomy, one of the sciences. I sit with him on the board of trustees at the Baptist Courier, and he is one of the most godly men I have ever met, and he believes the Bible is the Word of God. They, there are intellectuals who believe the authority of the Bible and live it. Dangers without, but also dangers within. Verse number 30, he said, There will rise up from among you those who will try to lead astray. And there were dangers then. I don't have time to talk about all these, but Gnosticism. There was uh, antinomianism, which basically taught, yes, you can be a Christian, but just live like you want to live. Grace lets you do that. And there was syncretism, which said, let's take a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion, Christianity, and blend them together and make one religion. By the way, that's going on today. One world religion is slowly happening today. And we're facing all kinds of challenges even within the church in many places. There are some pastors who stand up and claim to be gospel preachers, but if you pin them down, they will not tell you they believe the Bible is the Word of God infallible and inerrant from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of the Scripture. And I challenge people today, ask your pastor that. Ask them. Do you believe all of the Bible is the Word of God, all of the Bible is inerrant, and all the Bible is infallible? And I believe any man or woman, we have to say women today on that, who stands in a pulpit claiming to be a gospel preacher, claiming to be a Bible preacher, and doesn't believe at all is the Word of God, ought to resign their job, they're taking their money under false pretenses. But it's happening across this land. They have a scrapbook Bible. They like the Gospels. Most of it, not all of it, but most of it. But they don't like Genesis 1 through 11. They say it's fiction. They say it's myth. And listen, you may be visiting today here in our church or watching online. And you go to a church that doesn't preach the whole counsel of God, you better move your membership. You are in a dangerous place. You say, well, mama's buried there. Grandma's buried there. Well, if they could get up out of the grave and move their membership, they would in this day and time. Listen, we've got to stay lashed to the book. 
And I know I'm talking primarily leadership today, but as the old saying goes, if the gold rusts, what will the iron do? What will the iron do? We've got to stay with the book, teaching, preaching. Oh, it did my heart good sitting where Marty's sitting right now, watching those videos and hearing about these Bible school teachers and Sunday school teachers who taught the Word of God and led children and young people to faith in Jesus. Doesn't that bless your heart? It ought to. Made me feel so good and thankful to the Lord Jesus for these folks. I wonder if they had a Eutychus in their group anywhere there. I'm, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's stay lashed to the book. Then quickly look with me at verse 32. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. Now, Paul here is talking about his tent-making work. You have to go read the first few verses of chapter 18 to see that Paul was a tent-maker by trade as well as a Pharisee. But he earned his living. He was bivocational in the ministry. But notice what he said there in verse number 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said it's more blessed to give than receive. Now this is the only reference to that specific teaching in all of the Bible. Paul had some special insight from the Lord and maybe one of the apostles told him who didn't write it down in the gospel, but it's all through the gospel. Jesus modeled it and taught it. Always be careful to help those in need, to lift up the fallen. A merciful ministry is what we're talking about. I thank the Lord for this church's merciful ministry. And it happens so often. It may be the food pantry where we're giving out food free to people who come and we get to share a little bit about Jesus with them when they come. It may be our men on a mission going to build a ramp or as they're going to do next week, go build a project or a building project in another state. It may be the WMU who are helping some family in need or a Sunday school class that's ministering or many of you one-on-one. -on -one. I want to commend you for that. That's a gospel ministry. That's church ministry. That's one of the main things. And I want to remind you of this, that any time we reach out to help the weak and the needy and the frail, we are doing, not only doing God's business, but we will never lack an opportunity to share Jesus. Never. The doors are many times open when you put out your hand to help and to lift up. A merciful ministry. But then notice the closing. Verse number 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they'd accompanied him to the ship. When he said these things, he knelt down, prayed with them all. When I was a student at Anderson College, they gave me an assignment in, a, in one of my ministry classes to work with a church there under the pastor in the city of Anderson. And he would take me to make visits in the hospital and meetings and different things, teaching me the ropes. And he told me, he said, when you go to the hospital, stay 10 minutes, no more than 15. Doesn't matter who it is, stay 10 minutes, no more than 15. Now I'll have to tell you, this guy was doctor, pastor. Doctor, pastor. That's how you, 
That's how you spoke to him, you know, doctor. But tune no more than 15 minutes. So he sent me on my alone one day to the hospital, and he said, go visit, visit Mrs. So-and-so. She's a sweet lady. Go see her. So I was looking at my watch. I wanted to make sure, you know, I didn't go over 15 minutes. He might be out the door, outside the door checking up on me. And at about the 13-minute mark, I said to her, I want to pray with you. She said, no, please don't. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? She said, if you pray, that means you're about to leave. And she kept me there a long time, talking, talking, talking. And finally, she said, okay, you can pray now. Some people, some people read this verse and they say, this is Paul's way of getting out of a meeting. You know, he closed with prayer. You ever know people like that? Let's go ahead and have prayer so we can get on with it. Well, that's not what Paul's doing. Paul realizes that prayer is one of the main things. And the last thing, think about it, the last words you heard from somebody you will never see again this side of glory, those last words stay with you, don't they? And the last words from him was, let's pray. I want to pray over you. A prayerful ministry. And Paul practiced it and he modeled it. I want to give you just a few references. Romans 1.8, he told the church at Rome, I do not cease to pray for you. The church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1.4, I'm praying for you. 2 Corinthians 13.9, I continue to pray for you. The church in Ephesus, he would later write a letter to. Chapter 1, verse 16, I'm praying for you. Chapter 6, verse 18, don't stop praying, keep praying. The church in Colossae, verse, chapter 1, verse 9, I am praying for you. 1 Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica, I am praying for you. Philippians, chapter 1, verse 3, I'm praying for you. He told the young preacher Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 1, 2 Timothy 1, 3, I'm praying for you. And to Philemon, he said, I'm praying for you. And folks, that is just a sampling of the references that Paul made to prayer in his letters I believe he believed in it. And when he called these elders together, he commended them to the hands of the one who holds all things in his hands. And he trusted them to God. Oh, my friends, listen, the ministry of this church will never rise above its prayer ministry. Never. I'm carried along week by week by the prayers of so many of you who remind me, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I love, as I've told you before, to see holy huddles after services. See two or three here, two or three there, a few here. And they huddled up. And I know what they're doing. They're not looking at Facebook. They're not gathered around a phone. They're praying for one another. And to see folks come to this altar and pray. And to know that prayer meetings are going on through the week. And Wednesday night we're praying. We are born along in the power of God through prayer. It must be. The main thing, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher of yesteryear in London, England, the 1800s, probably quoted more than any other preacher. Charles Spurgeon, God used to build a ministry there in London, England. And the church he pastored was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. When it was erected, it was the largest in the world of Protestant churches with seat 5,000 people. It was full every Sunday morning and every Sunday night under his ministry. Many souls were saved. Folks would come just to see the tabernacle, the church building. And one Sunday, a group arrived very early to get a good seat. They were some of the first there. They sat near the front. 
Spurgeon came walking through, and they said, Dr. Spurgeon. He came over and greeted them. They said, we want to hear you preach, and we sure would like to see this beautiful facility. He said, come on, I'll give you a tour. And they followed him through the sanctuary, the balcony, and the buildings in the back, the offices, and all the different ministry locations around the building. And then Spurgeon looked at them and said, Would you like to see the heater room? H-E-A-T-E-R, the heater room. And they said, Well, I guess so. They thought they were going to where the furnace was, you know. And Spurgeon looked at them and did his finger like this, quiet, and he opened the door to the heater room, and there in that room were hundreds of church members down on their knees praying, praying for the services, praying, praying, praying. That's where the heat was coming from. That's where the power was coming from. And it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Oh, my friend, keep praying for your church. Keep praying for your Sunday school class. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your staff, your pastor, the ministries. And pray that God would send an anointing each and every week and throughout the week upon His people. But you know, we cannot pray that prayer until we have first prayed to receive Jesus. Have you prayed to receive Jesus? Didn't you enjoy hearing this testimony about a young person when he came to faith in Jesus? Didn't you enjoy seeing this young man who's seated out there today, who came down this week to say, last week to say, I prayed to receive Jesus? Oh, friend, that's where the prayer starts. That's where it starts. And today in this service, we're going to give an invitation. And maybe someone like that young man will come down and say, I want to pray to receive Jesus. Or maybe you have prayed to receive Him. And now it's time to unite with this local church doing evangelical ministry, biblical ministry, merciful ministry, prayerful ministry. You may come today. Maybe somebody today wants to come to rededicate their life. Come to kneel at this altar or sit on the front row and spend some time at this old-fashioned altar prayer time to do business with God. I invite you to come. Let's stand together with heads and hearts bowed. And now, Lord Jesus, as we prepare to sing this precious song that says so much, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that many will say, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. I want Your will. I want to go Your way. Bring those who need to come with whatever decision, prayer need, whatever it may be, bring them today. And help us today, Lord, to be the church You would have us to be. To do business with You and to be serious about our calling as a church. Thank You, Jesus. In Your precious name we pray. Amen.